Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a Supreme Court podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Kimberly Robinson. And I'm Lydia Wheeler. Well, yesterday, the Supreme Court heard arguments in Relentless and Loper Bright. Those are the two cases that asked the justices to overturn a bedrock principle of administrative law. Today, we're going to do a recap of those arguments, but we wanted to first remind listeners that we previewed this case in our last episode. So for more background on that, take a listen. But turning to the arguments, Kimberly, remind listeners what the so-called Chevron doctrine is and what's at stake in this case. Right, Lydia. So there was actually a lot of debate about that during the three and a half hours of arguments about what Chevron actually means. And so the groups challenging the doctrine say it's a doctrine that really usurps the federal court's power to say what the law is because it requires courts to defer to administrative agencies and their reasonable interpretations of statutes that are ambiguous. First, Chevron violates the Constitution. Article 3 empowers judges to say what the law is. It requires them to interpret federal statutes using their best and independent judgment. Chevron undermines that duty. It reallocates interpretive authority from courts to agencies, and it forces courts to adopt inferior agency constructions that are issued for political or policy reasons. In doing so, Chevron blocks judges from serving as faithful agents of Congress. So that was Latham and Watkins' Roman Martinez, who argued on behalf of the fishermen seeking to overturn the Chevron Doctrine. But others in the courtroom argued that Chevron was a means of discouraging federal courts from imposing their policy preferences and for subbing those in for administrative agencies who really are the expert on these kinds of things. So here's Justice Kagan, for example, who gave a few real-world hypotheticals of ambiguities that can pop up in the law. Is a new product designed to promote healthy cholesterol levels, a dietary supplement, or a drug? Uh, Sorry, can you give that one more time? A new product designed to promote healthy cholesterol levels. Is it a dietary supplement, that's a statutory term, or a drug? And so she made the point that Congress probably wants agencies to fill in those gaps, not judges who really aren't experts in any of these areas. You want the courts to decide that? Justice Kagan, I think with respect to that question or any other of the legal question, I think what the court would do, they're they're going to be hard questions, but I think the court would bring all the traditional tools of construction to bear. They do that under Chevron. They, you know, we have made clear all the traditional tools. If you can find an answer, that is the answer. So the court is very rarely in the situation in which you're talking where it thinks the law means X and instead it says Y. If it thinks it means X under Chevron, as we've understood it and made clear and reined it in a little bit over these last few years, it's supposed to say X. But sometimes law runs out. Sometimes there's a gap. Sometimes there's a genuine ambiguity. And I I don't know. In that case, I would rather have people at HHS telling me whether this new product was a dietary supplement or a drug. And here we even have Justice Alito chiming in. Mr. Kamen, can I ask you the same question I asked Mr. Martinez about why Chevron was initially popular? People who were very sophisticated and had a deep understanding of how judges decide what a statute means and a deep understanding of how administrative agencies work thought that Chevron would be an improvement because it would take judges out of the business of making what were essentially policy decisions. Now, were they wrong then? And if they weren't wrong, then what, if anything, has changed since then? 
So it seems to be some disagreement about what Chevron even does then. Yeah, a lot, um, considering that the whole question here was, like, should we jettison Chevron? It seems like we should have an idea about, like, what it does first, but no. (laughs) Well, did you get a sense of what the justices might do? I mean, there were some who thought that the court might continue to cut back on Chevron rather than outright overrule it. Was there any indication which way the court was leaning here? Yeah, I think there was. So, you know, the background here is that the court for a number of years has been issuing rulings that really, you know, put limits on Chevron, limits on when Chevron could even apply. And so the justice, though, who seemed most inclined to stop short of overturning Chevron was really Justice Barrett. Mm. And that's not because she thought like, hey, Chevron's such a great rule. But really, she was concerned about the fact that there's been a lot of reliance on Chevron in the 40 years since it's been decided. And she was in particular really concerned about the 15,000 or so cases in the lower federal courts that were decided along Chevron grounds. But the bottom line holdings in those cases, if the court did defer at step two, are simply that the agency's interpretation was reasonable. And maybe sometimes, like in Brand X, they might even be like, well, we would reach a different interpretation if it were our call, call, but it's ambiguous, so the agency can decide. So maybe nothing happens immediately to those cases, but isn't the door then open for litigants to come back and say, well, stationary source really means X, or, you know, broadband or whatever the specific term was in, in Brand X? So isn't it inviting a flood of litigation, even if for the moment those holdings stay intact? Brand X? That was a case from the early 2000s that seemed to really take a beating yesterday. Yeah, Lydia, it sure did. Um, One of the attorneys arguing for Chevron to be overturned, Paul Clement, called it an embarrassment. And Brand X is a huge embarrassment for the government and the government's friend. Interestingly, uh, the author of the Brand X decision, Justice Thomas, had a front row seat for all of the ribbing. (laughs) I bet he loved that. I looked through the bottom side amicus. I counted 13 amicus briefs on the bottom side. Only two of them cited brand X. Because, gosh, it would be nice for that decision to just go away, wouldn't it? Sorry, Justice Thomas. (laughs) (laughs) So to be fair, Justice Thomas himself has now called for brand X to be overturned. So, you know, he was pretty good natured about it. So you talked about Justice Barrett and her hesitancy to overturn Chevron. But were there any other justices who seemed to be leaning that way? I mean, yeah, you know, there were hints here and there, um, especially from Chief Justice Roberts and maybe, as we heard earlier, from Justice Alito. But there was also a lot of support for um, really overturning Chevron from the other conservative justices. And I think that was most obvious in a series of questions from Justices Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. Both of them were sort of responding to Justice Kagan's suggestion that Chevron is meant to ensure judicial humility and to keep judges from making policy decisions. And uh, Justice Kagan raises uh, an important point about judicial restraint or humility in terms of Chevron. And that that's an important concern for any judge. I think the flip side, why this is hard, the other concern for any judge is uh, abdication uh, to the executive branch running roughshod over limits established in the Constitution or, in this case, uh, by Congress. So I think we got to find the that's, – that's why it's hard, find the right balance between restraint uh, and uh, letting the executive get away uh, with too much. One lesson of humility is admit when you're wrong. Justice Scalia, who took Chevron, which nobody understood to include this two-step move as originally written, 
and turned it into what we now know. And late in life, he came to regret that decision. What do we make of that lesson about humility? So that was Justice Kavanaugh and then Justice Gorsuch. And I think both snippets show that, you know, these justices are thinking about Chevron as really a distortion of the constitutional system that's in place to set out each branch's role in government. And I don't know, Lydia, it's really hard for me to think that look, if that's the way that you're thinking about these cases, that you're going to be okay with sort of just like tucking, nipping and tucking Chevron rather than, you know, just jettisoning all all together. So what's next? You know, if Chevron goes, what are courts going to be left with? Because there's always going to be some laws that are vague. Yeah, that's right. And the justices actually spent a lot of time debating this question during oral arguments. I think it was actually behind the very first question that we got from Justice Thomas. Uh, Mr. Martinez, how much deference is... uh intention with the judicial role? I think it's very much intention, Your Honor. How much would it require? I mean, your argument is that Chevron deference is problematic, but how do we determine how much deference is too much deference? And in particular, there was a lot of debate about so-called Skidmore deference. Yay, more deference stuff. I mean, there are a whole bunch of deference doctrines in admin law. So, you know, Skidmore deference... Maybe it's not deference at all. Who knows? Um, But this is essentially what was in place before Chevron. And the general idea, though you'll hear that there's some debate on this too, is that an agency interpretation is entitled to deference when it's persuasive, which sounds a lot like, I don't know, common sense. Um, And and Justice Kagan, um, she was also skeptical that Skidmore was really going to do anything for agencies. Skidmore. I mean, what does Skidmore mean? Skidmore means if we think you're right, we'll tell you you're right. So the idea that Skidmore is going to be a backup at once you get rid of Chevron, um, that Skidmore means anything other than nothing. Uh, but other justices thought that Skidmore maybe meant more. And that came through most clearly in an exchange by Justice Gorsuch and Roman Martinez. Another would be to listen carefully to both sides and provide special weight under Skidmore to a co-equal branch of government's views about the law, which one would think we would do anyway, and that they would have, have be considered great weight in arriving at the best answer, and that that's what a court would do if, if there were no interpretive principles uh, advanced by the executive branch if there hadn't been some sort of rule or adjudication. Is that, is, is that correct? I, I think that's correct, and I think the difference between the Skidmore approach that you just laid out and the Chevron approach is just at the end of the day, once you've considered all the expertise and all the information the agency has to bear. Who decides? Who decides? Who, is the judge persuaded or not persuaded? Is, is the, the judge persuaded at the end of the day with proper deference given to a co-equal branch of government Or does the judge abdicate that responsibility and say automatically whatever the agency says wins? So Justice Gorsuch and others are suggesting that there's, you know, there's some recognition under Skidmore that agencies, you know, they're experts and they have an understanding of, you know, the facts on the ground, what the consequences are going to be, and that judges and federal courts should really be paying special attention to that. 
So, Kimberly, we've been talking about these cases for a bit, but we haven't talked at all about the fishermen or the regulation that's, you know, that they're challenging here. Was there a lot of discussion of that in the argument? I mean, did they come up at all? Uh, okay, they came up somewhat, but there really was not a lot of discussion, particularly in the first argument um, by Ramon Martinez. And I really think that's because of the Supreme Court itself. And, you know, Loper Bright, one of the parties here challenging Chevron, had asked the justices to consider a more narrow question about the specific regulation here. And it really gave the justices an opportunity to sort of make some clarity about Chevron and when it should apply. You know, particularly here, the regulation, you know, the argument is that the regulation is silent on this particular issue. And then that creates enough ambiguity for you know, courts to trigger Chevron. But to me, that really signals that the court is more inclined to overturn Chevron. But with all things Supreme Court, we'll have to wait and see. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode. Kimberly, what's up next, though? Uh, you know, just something something little. The court's going to have, you know, like a special session to hear about. Uh, let me check my notes. Former, former President Trump. Oh, right. Yeah, whether or not he can be on the presidential ballot. So a uh, reminder that the court has set a special argument date, February 8th. I had forgotten all about it until the marshal reminded us that the court was going to be closed until February 8th. And you could hear this kind of like collective gasp from the press side, like, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, we normally get a break right now, but we will be back um, and talking lots about this case and others coming up. In the interim... You can follow along with all the latest Supreme Court news at news.bloomberglaw.com. Hello, podcast listeners. If you don't already know On the Merits, our weekly podcast devoted to legal and government news, it's a show that features the very best of Bloomberg Law and Bloomberg Government, newsrooms that boast among the largest number of credentialed journalists in D.C. When you listen to On the Merits, you'll hear about the groundbreaking developments in the courts, in Congress, and in the alphabet soup of federal agencies that run Washington and our nation. Our show is by and about legal policy nerds, and we say that lovingly. It's a nerd's eye view of what professionals in the legal and government space need to know, but you do not have to be a nerd to listen. Check out our show on the merits and find new episodes wherever you get your podcasts, and you can find our archive of shows at news.bloomberglaw.com podcasts.